This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, earlier... This week, the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, which is an independent body which advises the government on financial matters, warned that we would put our public finances at serious risk if we weren't careful. They had in mind, perhaps, a f- call from Fine Gael, three junior Fine Gael ministers in a piece for the Irish Independent, I believe it was, called for a €1,000 tax break for middle-income earners, a call that was backed up by the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, and most people believe that he was aware that this piece was being written by his ministers. I think the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council and many other people indeed, including the Fianna Fáil party, who were in government with Finnegale believe this would be a mistake. And it's a pleasure to welcome Chris Johns, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, to talk about this because there are growing calls from various interest groups for spending, and spending has consequences. In fact, I think the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council warned that we could find ourselves back where we were in the early 2000s if we spend money recklessly now. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. The Irish Fiscal Advisory Council sounds like a faceless body of suits. That's the way many people will see it. What, in fact, is it? It's an independent watchdog for budgetary matters, as its name suggests. So it gives advice on uh, you know, spending matters, taxation matters, and in a sense, marks the Department of Finance's homework. And various countries have similar institutions. Um, the UK has, uh, by some measure, the gold standard for these independent budgetary watchdogs. Watchdogs. It's called the Office for Budget Responsibility. And then the United States has a couple of them. Um, and as I say, the UK and Ireland and other countries have their own. It's an idea to really set up in the last few years to try and keep the the politicians honest when it comes to their spending and taxation decisions, because historically, 
they often don't make very good spending and taxation decisions. The budget is an annual circus, which the uh, IFAC, as we call it, is trying to put some manners on. And there are two features of the, these uh, budget submissions by these Fine Gael TDs that um, are worth commenting on. One, it's perfectly normal that all sorts of institutions, all sorts of people put in budget submissions to the Department of Finance. Um, they range from uh, think tanks through to lobby groups, through to uh, individual corporations and individuals. They all put in budget submissions. And they're often very detailed, sometimes they're very scant, and they're always a big ask for something or other. And this year is no different in the sense that we are getting these budget submissions, including the one that you mentioned. What is unusual about 2023, about this year's budgetary process, is that the asks, these, these budgetary submissions, have started so early. I can't remember a time when in Ireland, four months or so before the actual budget is due to be delivered, that we got this kind of pre-budget speculation. And this clearly has alarmed IFAC because it's all about getting uh, more spending and less taxes. And the role of the budgetary watchdog, above all the other things that it's supposed to do, is to stop recklessness in terms of the public finances. So they're very prudent, very cautious organizations to the point of being mind-numbingly boring. But their job is to try and rein in uh, some of the more ridiculous demands that are made of the Department of Finance. Is it particularly troubling that the Taoiseach appears to be well aware of what his junior ministers did and supported them? That is unusual. We don't usually see uh, ministers, of, uh, let alone uh, Taoiseach, the Taoiseach getting involved in this way at this time, if, if ever. And so I think that speaks to uh, Varadkar's priorities. He's always been known as somebody that favours tax cuts rather than tax rises. Fine Gael itself is, 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 likes to portray itself as the party that looks after both Middle Ireland and in particular the business community as well. It's, it's seen, as a, seen as a pro-business party. I know some employers' organisations that would dispute that characterization, but there we are. Um, and he's often spoken about the high level of taxation in Ireland, in his words, and the need, is, uh, should the opportunity arise, to get it down. So it is consistent with what he said before, but it's unusual for somebody in his position to get stuck into a pre-budget submission. Unusual to the point of being unique, actually. Yes, and there are apparent contradictions, Chris, in our economic situation at the moment. One of them is the belief that our GDP has had a windfall and that we'll have 65 billion in excess over the next not too distant future and therefore that we're well off. On the other hand, the EU is deemed now to have technically gone into recession. That is two successive quarters without growth. It's just a mild recession, but Ireland is deemed to have contributed to that, and perhaps you might explain how that happened. There's one other salient fact that not many of us knew, and I didn't know until I began researching for our conversation, that of that $65 billion, three American companies, or three companies, I assume they're from America, 
contribute most of it. Absolutely. We've known for some time because the Department of Finance and the taxation authorities have told us that 10 companies account for the bulk of corporate taxation. That's really all that they've said without putting numbers on it, uh, precise numbers, and without telling us who the 10 companies are, although we could probably guess them. We might certainly guess seven or eight of them, and it gets a bit iffy when you get to the ninth or the 10th. But we all know the names. And the big ones, of course, are Apple, Microsoft, um, and one or two pharmaceutical companies, actually. It's not just tech. That's the, that's the first thing yeah. to say about that. So it's very unbalanced. And you can get into all sorts of mind-numbing detail about the corporation tax debate, about the extent to which Ireland is a tax haven or not, and the extent to which these revenues are likely to be temporary or not. Are they a windfall, once-off thing, or are they likely to continue? Now, the problem the Department of Finance has got is, is that it has been telling us for years now that the surge in corporation tax revenues is temporary, it's one-off, it won't last, and don't spend it, is what it says to the politicians. Because that's the mistake you made back in the day, pre-great financial crisis, when you took all of those revenues related to the housing boom, yes. because the, the, the explosion in house prices and house construction led to um, increased VAT, increased stamp duty, uh, and increased income taxes for uh, construction workers. It led to a revenue boom that were essentially all spent. And then when the housing crash came, all of those revenues disappeared. They turned out not to be permanent. In the jargon of economics, in the way in which we we always urged departments of finance all around the world to treat taxation revenues, is that you you do you do it cautiously, and you try and work out what revenues are permanent and what are transitory. And you should spend the permanent ones. By all means, do that, but please spend it wisely. But the transitory ones, for God's sake, don't bake in permanent spending commitments yes. alongside those transitory revenues. So you, the best example I can give you of, of, of good and bad in this area is actually Norway and the UK. They both discovered North Sea oil at the same time. And by its very nature, oil is a wasting asset. Once it's all pumped out of the North Sea, it's gone. So by although it lasts quite a long time, these revenues from oil for Norway and the UK were essentially temporary revenues. The Norwegians saved all of them. So now they have one of the biggest sovereign wealth funds in the world as a result of saving their temporary tax revenues yes. from North Sea Oil. The Brits spent the lot, yes. didn't save a penny of them. And now they are partly as a result of this, but also for lots of other reasons, in a lot of fiscal trouble. Now, what the IFAC is doing is saying, don't repeat the mistakes of the British with their oil revenues. Don't mistake, don't repeat them, your own mistakes when it came to spending the revenues from the housing boom, and bake in permanent spending commitments with these temporary corporation tax revenues, which, as you say, comes from 10 companies mostly, and a third of, th of that comes from three companies, or nearly a third, we are told. And if you, if you start promising people things like pensions and social security benefits and other sp spending on health and education and housing you will find that you will run out of money very, very quickly when these temporary revenues disappear. Now, in terms of the numbers, the IFAC suggested that of the $22 billion that we got last year uh, from corporation tax, up to a half, they reckon, could be temporary. Now, that's right. only an estimate. That's only a guess um, because we don't really know because there are so many moving parts when it comes to this because in order to guess 
what's going to happen going forward. You have to start with the profits of these companies and the taxes they pay on. You know, the bigger the profits, the more tax revenues you'll get. The extent to which they're going to declare them in Ireland, because they do have some flexibility there, they could declare them back home in the United States. There are rules around where they are supposed to declare these profits, and those rules are changing. And we still don't know fully how those rules are going to change. So any one of a number of things could happen to both cause these revenues to collapse in the way that IFAC is worried about. But there's also upside potential to these things. The downside is that there'll be all these corporation tax reforms treaties renegotiated globally to make sure that these profits are, are declared in the places where they are actually earned. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that I think Donald Trump and Republicans feel particularly strongly, and indeed Joe Biden also, that you know, Americans have to look after, American companies have to pay their taxes in America. One of the most interesting things, one of the many interesting things about Joe Biden's policies is the way that he has actually implemented everything that Donald Trump said he would do, but didn't. Yes. So he's taken Donald Trump's rhetoric on America first and uh, actually done something about it, unlike Trump. Trump spoke a lot, but didn't do very much. Biden is doing America first in the yes. way that Donald Trump kind of sort of promised that he would. And one of the many ways in which he's doing this, and it's a very profound set of policies that he's implemented in the United States, the extent to which doesn't get nearly enough publicity in Europe, including Britain and including Ireland, and he's transforming the US economy. But one of the things that he would like to do, just like Trump did, he would like to get more of these tax revenues back to the United States. Um, there, there isn't much prospect of that in the very short term, and a lot will depend on next year's presidential election because not, nothing much is going to happen before then. But that is one of the threats to Irish corporation tax revenues is that America, or indeed some other group of countries, says we want some of those tax revenues because they rightly belong to us. The upside potential, and this is why it's so difficult to forecast these tax revenues, let alone to say which proportion of them are temporary or permanent, is that is the profits of these companies that we know and love present in Ireland could about to be uh, to explode again because they're very high anyway because of all of this stuff we read about every day concerning artificial intelligence. It could well be that AI gives these companies a massive, massive profits boost in the years ahead, not the months ahead, in the years ahead. Yes. And that could le lead to an embarrassment of riches for Ireland. So this stuff is very difficult to forecast. And the, the numbers that you see being kicked around by me, by IFAC, they're really just guesstimates rather than any hard, firm, reliable forecasts. But, of course, it is very prudent and, I think, correct for IFAC to warn, don't treat all of these revenues as permanent. Do save some of them. And if at the end of the day, in five years' time, we've discovered that they have turned out to be more permanent than we thought, well, we'll just have more money in five years' time. Don't make the mistake the other way. Err on the side of caution. That's the right financial economic advice for IFAC to be giving. Yes, and we are four months out from a budget. The Minister for Finance at the moment is a Fianna Fáil TD, Michael McGrath, his inclination, we understand from what he has been saying, or indeed not saying, is to, as it were, start something permanent like our own mini sovereign wealth fund, rather than to go down the road that the Taoiseach is urging, really, to look after what he's now taken to calling Middle Ireland rather than the people who get up early in the morning. 
So they're playing politics with this, and it's really quite, well, Farage just playing politics with it, but it's not helpful in a coalition government if the Taoiseach and the Minister for Finance are from different parties and don't see the future the same way. Well, the Minister for Finance, I suspect, is being sensible about this and is not being nakedly political. I mean, inevitably, yeah. he will allow politics to influence his decisions. But in the run-up to the budget, I suspect Michael McGrath, like all previous fi finance ministers, would prefer to, to give away on the day in a big surprise, rabbit-out-of-the-hat type stuff, a tax cut and or a spending increase if he is going to go down that very political route. Uh, whereas the politicians will be politicians. And there are, there are a couple of aspects of that just worth noting. The main one being is that this budgetary process in and of itself is a complete nonsense. It's the same in the UK. All it does is confuse people. All it does is layer complexity on an already dog's breakfast taxation and spending system. The system is chaotic. Nobody understands it. There are thousands of pages of new legislation every year on top of the previous tens of thousands of pages every year, and nobody knows how it all works. If you sat down with a blank sheet of paper, the last thing you'd do was to, would design the systems that we actually do have in the UK and Ireland, because they are very similar systems. And it, it's, it is really a, a nonsense, but it's an important nonsense because it is so nakedly political. And one aspect of that that I think is important to mention, you probably are going to mention it, is that there have been reports that Fine Gael in particular, but the coalition in general, some members of them are terrified that they are leaving a golden goose for the next government, probably to include or mainly be Sinn Féin. Yes. And that all of this extra money that's being generated won't turn out to be that temporary, if it turns out to be temporary at all. And this spending boom or taxation cut, less likely in the case of Sinn Féin, but you're just leaving all the benefits of all the good work of previous years, fiscally speaking, to Sinn Féin. And in a way, it's a kind of a scorched earth thing, saying, well, if they're going to spend it, we might as well spend it now. Yes, let me just, before we move on to Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's visit to Washington and his meeting, a rather cool meeting, I thought, with Joe Biden and the declaration of something called the Atlantic Declaration. People listening to this will think of our real problems here, and they're not unlike the problems in England. A health service that cannot do its work because of the shortages of all kinds. Perhaps it's more severe in England, given what we've read this week. But also a housing situation where people can't afford homes. But the fact of the matter is, this amount of money, if it's 65 billion in our case, you couldn't fix, or could you, a health service or supply the homes on that kind of money? Or could you? Or, no, and you wouldn't that be a worthy aspiration? It would certainly be a worthy aspiration to, to uh, spend the money that you have to solve these very deep-rooted and real problems. But as yeah. you say, they, exi they exist in not just the UK as well, but in many other countries. The housing crisis thing is of such complexity and, su and is so deep-seated and present in countries from America to Canada to France to Spain to Portugal, Australia, you name it. Yes. Uh, the developed world has a housing problem, which kind of reveals that the underlying causes of this problem are not particularly Irish, although there, there are one or two of those, but they are very deep-rooted and they are very global. And they are beyond 
uh, just throwing yes. money at the problem. Yeah. There are there's lots of things that you've got to do. This problem has been many many years in the making. It's not least because you know as the recent census for Ireland revealed that um, since the, the early 1960s the population of Ireland has nearly doubled. Yes. And it's it's almost impossible to conceive of a country that uh, would double its population in such a relatively short space of time and not have a housing crisis. So it's a very, very complex, multifaceted, deep problem. And my guess is that it would take a lot of money and critically a lot of time. It's at least a 10-year project to solve, at least, if you have a government, a governance structure that is set up to think strategically long-term beyond the normal electoral cycle. One yes. of the reasons we have these problems is that governments are not set up in that way. They never think strategically. Nobody ever takes decisions, the benefits from which will flow long after we have disappeared off the political stage. Anything that lasts longer than an electoral cycle, at best, and at worst, most ministers only ever think in terms of their own ministerial life cycle, which you know is only a year or two these days in both jurisdictions is often the case. So we, in order to solve the crisis, you have to have long-term strategic thinking. You have to ch- have a change in governance structures, and you need a lot of money. And if you think that's what we're going to get in either Britain or Ireland, um, I'm afraid you're going to be very, very disappointed. You say that Britain has similar problems to Ireland. We do, absolutely. But my gosh, Eamon, we're in such a different position. You're talking about the possibility, maybe, kind of, sort of, spending the money that you will undoubtedly have got on this problem and how best to use your resources. Britain's got no money. The situation couldn't be more different fiscally. And all right. our budgetary, what Doug tells the um, the government to do, really, is that over the next few years, you're going to... There, there's no conceivable set of circumstances in the UK that taxes don't rise particularly after the next government, Labour or Conservative, is elected. So fiscally, the two countries couldn't be in a more different position. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Right, let me ask you now about Rishi Sunak. He's just had a two-day trip to Washington, which didn't yield the trade deal that was promised by the Brexiteers, and he was among the most ardent of the Brexiteers, Mr. Sunak. What he got instead was something called the Atlantic Declaration, which is not worth, I imagine, the paper it's written on. The Atlantic Declaration is fascinating in a number of regards. One, as you say, because it isn't worth the paper it's written on. And one of the things that people have forgotten is that Johnson did exactly the same thing two years ago. There was another Atlantic-type declaration made with the United States that literally nobody remembers. And it's almost exactly the same as the one that they did this week. So yes, it's an empty piece of fluff that the Americans have uh, just, you know, cast a few crumbs Sunak's way. Because as you say, the chances of a trade deal with the United Kingdom are absolutely zero. This zero, was yeah. the, the Brexit promise. There's not even a 1% chance that, uh, that Biden and co are remotely interested in a free trade deal with the United Kingdom. There, there's lots of reasons why they specifically wouldn't do one with the UK. But more generally, they're not interested in free trade anymore. This is yeah. one of the things, going back to what I was saying earlier on about Biden's America First thing that he's doing, yes. is that he's trying to reshore a much, as much manufacturing, particularly high-tech manufacturing, particularly silicon chip manufacturing, back to the United States. That's a worry over Taiwan in particular, but yes. a supply chain problem generally. And if you don't bring it back to the United States, is what he's telling companies, and he's not just telling them to do it, he's incentivizing them to do it with tax breaks, with subsidies, and huge amounts of money. And so it is real, it's happening. You can already see the effects of this. He's saying to the two American companies, at worst, if you don't bring your stuff back to the United States, at least put your companies, your manufacturing capabilities in places that we can rely on. It's called fringe. It's called onshoring and then fringe shoring. So it's reconfiguring the world economy in most profound ways, which, as I say, isn't attracting nearly enough attention in Europe. And again, Ireland could be a huge beneficiary of that. Ireland yes. being the huge friend of the United States, the tech companies that are already here could be huge beneficiaries of this. And that could, of course, boost corporation tax revenues in the years, not the months, ahead. So as I say, this thing has got many moving parts, but then they have zero interest in the UK. The, the special relationship only ever exists in the minds of a few deluded Westminster inhabitants. It doesn't yes. exist in Washington. 
I know, and the pictures coming out of Washington of Sunak and Biden together were notably cool. Even the handshake was brief and, you know, there was no warmth in it. And Biden couldn't even affect warmth, which he is one of his specialities. Chris, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And on the question of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council's cautioning instructive uh, help for our listeners. Thank you very much indeed, Chris Johns. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.